Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. In our discussions today, we are talking about, is the Old Testament God violent? Enjoy our conversation. Donald, this is quite an interesting subject for many people. I think there's a perception amongst those that perhaps don't have much of a Christian faith, and maybe some that do have a Christian faith, that as you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible, the two uh, sections of it, if you like, it seems to paint the picture of either a very different God or two different gods. Most people's perception is that in the Old Testament, you see a God who is angry, a God who is violent, a God who at times wipes out people and people groups and nations. And then they would say, well, you look at the New Testament uh, and you've got Jesus. Jesus is all about love. Jesus is all about grace. And Jesus is all about mercy. And when Jesus talks about God in the New Testament, he paints this picture of a loving heavenly father. If you think to the story that he told of the prodigal son, he told the story to remind us of what God is like. The father has two sons. One of the sons decides, I can't be bothered to wait until you die, father. I want my inheritance now. And so his father gives it to him. He lets him go off and do his own thing. Blows all the money, blows everything. Gets to a point where he realizes, do you know what? I've really stuffed up. I wish I hadn't done this. I've made a complete mess of my life. And so he makes a decision. He's, I'm, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to ask for his forgiveness and see if I can be one of his hired servants. The father, which is who God is, who Jesus is saying God is, the father in the story is desperately waiting for the son to return. We're told that he looks out every day and when he sees him in the distance, he goes running to him and he wraps his arms around him and gives him a hug. My son's returned, he's forgiven, everything is fantastic. And people look at that and think, okay, so Jesus, you're saying that is what God is like. But they're saying, but in the Old Testament, well, there are these horrible battles. There are people that are wiped out. There's murder, there's violence. It's very, very different. And it looks like God's either inconsistent or contradicting himself. So let's just clear up a couple of misconceptions right at the beginning. When we're talking about the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, are we talking about two different gods or the same God? If we're talking about the same God, I would go very much with Jesus, who makes it very clear that he is the fulfillment of the God of the Old Testament coming to earth. And so we're talking about one God. Uh, but Jesus is clearly wanting to correct misunderstandings about the Old Testament perception or emphasis that, that was around about God. But no, we're talking about one God. So we're talking about one God. And do you think that the Old and the New Testament do contradict each other? No. I think that the... New Testament explains sometimes the Old Testament that if you just read it, mm -hmm. you perhaps wouldn't understand it in that way. Mm -hmm. I think I want to say right now that there are far more cleverer people that could take this subject better than me for the next hour or so, but I'll, I'll do my best. But No, I don't think there are contradictions, but I do think there are things that, okay, that's what's going on now, I understand that now. Yeah, yeah. I think you're more than qualified. I think we're excited at the time that we've got. Don't do yourself down at all. 
Okay, so let's go back into the Old Testament. Let's look at one of the passages that perhaps people might look at and say, there you go, what on earth is God up to? That's just really not a great thing to be asking or, or to be doing. So if we go to the book of Samuel, find it in the Old Testament, chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 1 to verse 3. It says this, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, we always say we don't just lift a few verses out of Scripture and say, explain that. Tell us the context. Where does this passage lie and what is going on uh, in those lands at that time? It's a very barbaric culture. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of nations, tribal groups destroying and fighting other tribal groups. Uh, this is around the time where there has been, the people of God have come into the land that promised to Abraham, but they've not really fully uh, created a kingdom yet, or this is the very early stages of having a king. So they've been quite a disparate group of tribes. They've had different leaders who were called judges. Samuel, who is, is the last guy who's kind of a judge, and Saul is the first king. Uh, it's a very turbulent time in, in history. And uh, God wants Saul to do something about this particular group of people, um, which you've just read. Okay, so explain to us about the Amalekites. Who are they and what was so wrong with them? So, I mean, I think it'd be helpful, you know, people have a bit of paper and write down some of these passages because you might want to go and look at them in, in depth or you could pause it, although you'll miss the interaction with this, or we'll put this up later in the week and you can go back over it. The Amalekites just a, a, another race, another group of people. We're not talking about billions of people. We're talking, a, a, you know, a, a, a tribal group, a, a small town or a village or whatever it is. We're not talking about, uh, you know, a whole civilization. There's lots of these groups around. We know that there is a story under Moses where the Amalekites attack. Israel. So they are they are a start and they attack the people of God. And the battle is a very strange battle as, it, as it's described. Uh, I need to make them remember where it's described. I've put that down. I think it's in Exodus 15 or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. Can't remember exactly. I'll it's, find it. it's a battle that's described. And you may remember the story because in the story it says that the, they had to hold um, Moses' arms up mm -hmm. and every time he, he couldn't, his arms came down, the uh, the, the, the people of God began to lose the battle. So yeah. they had some couple of people holding his arms up. It's a very strange story. Mm -hmm. It would appear that, that, that there was something supernatural or spiritual about this attack, that mere defending themselves against these people didn't seem to work, that there needed to be some sort of spiritual component of raising their hands. So that's where we begin to hear about the Amalekites. It's interesting that uh, there is a, a, another uh, passage that describes, have I got written that down or have I? 
did I put that down somewhere? I'm sure I did. Uh, there's another passage where they attack the people of God again. So they seem to do it on two or three occasions. Mm -hmm. They are quite an aggressive group of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's described that they attacked when they were weary, when the people of God were resting and they, the Amalekites attacked. There's lots of things I need to try and say to explain all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so let me try and, and go through it bit by bit. The first thing to say is this story stands out because it's not the norm in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So I want to read you a bit from Jeremiah 7. Yep. And this, this passage is quoting a lot of other passages in the Old Testament. So it's, and it's quoting the Old Testament law. But it, it, this passage in Jeremiah 7, verse 5 to 7, puts it the most succinctly. This is Jeremiah telling off the people of God, or God through Jeremiah telling off the people of God. He says, if you really change your ways in your actions and deal honestly with each other. And listen to this, but he says, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. Mm -hmm. So the Old Testament's main theme is that the people of God were to care for foreigners. They were not to shed innocent blood, which is why this story stands out. So the first thing we have to say is that the instruction to kill a lot of people is an exception. Mm -hmm. It's not the norm. Mm -hmm. And the general principle was that they were not to shed innocent blood. And in particular, they were to make special care for the mm -hmm. foreigner. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing. He's one thing, you, you're preoccupied on these couple of stories, but you need to look at the, the far more other times mm -hmm. when God says, the way you're treating people, the shedding of innocent blood mm -hmm. is unacceptable and you will lose the land, you will lose living in this place mm -hmm. if you continue to shed innocent blood. So that's a thing that's important. Mm -hmm. The second thing, and I'm going to come back to the Malachites, is that we have to try and balance two concepts. The one is our sense of justice. Mm -hmm. I had a phone call yesterday uh, that said, uh, hello. Um, didn't say it like that. It said, hello. Uh, this is Microsoft. Uh, we need to talk to you about uh, your virus on your computer. Now, I don't have a Microsoft computer. <laughs> no. I know where that conversation is going to go. Mm. That conversation is going to go, we need your bank details. Mm. My mum, who's 92, once answered that, and thankfully it wasn't a large amount of money, mm. but she gets those calls mm. every day. Mm. It makes me very, very angry. Mm. I had uh, a conversation with someone today who had received an email that said that they were uh, entitled to the COVID virus uh, vaccination. And the email wasn't from the NHS. And to secure their vaccination, they needed to put in their bank details. Oh. Now, who sends those emails? I feel very, very angry mm -hmm. because they're targeted at people like my mum mm -hmm. who are good-natured, not quite uh, uh, believing of how evil yeah. some people can be yeah. and wanting to exploit. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us 
feel a sense of anger. We feel that should be stopped. Yeah. And very often the, the, the complaint to God is, why don't you do something about suffering? Why don't you do something about the use of rape mm. as a weapon of war, which we mm. see going on around in our, in our world at this moment. Why don't you do something, God, about the systematic exploitation of older people for money? Yeah. And so God has this thing of, on the one hand, he wants us to turn away from our sin. He wants us to recognize what we're doing wrong and he wants us to say, I need help, I want to mm. change. Mm. And so part of, I suspect, God's love and care for the guy that phoned me yesterday, who may well be being enslaved and forced to make those phone calls, mm. I don't know. Mm. But whoever sets it up, organizes mm. it, and part of God's concern is to say, I don't want to destroy you. Can you not turn away from this? Mm. But at the same time, God is having to say, I'm not going to tolerate that yeah. in heaven. Yeah. I'm not going to tolerate that forever. Mm. And there comes a point where God judges the world. Mm -hmm. And he will say that behavior has to be destroyed. And it has to be seen that that was hurtful and damaging to people. And those who have been the victims of great violence or great injustice, they need to see that their life and suffering has been heard and valued and seen. And we see that in our own lives when, you know, there's occasional court case and we feel the person hasn't had sufficient prison sentence and mm -hmm. we think what is this what are we saying to someone that they get away with community service or they're not there's mm -hmm. five years and not life or whatever there's a sense of natural justice now mm -hmm. you think what's this got to do with the Amalekite uh, uh, and I'll come back to I am getting there yep. I promise no, you it's good. but it's having this sense that we want God to forgive and judge at the same time yep now part of that feeling is coming from the Old Testament and there is a journey that culminates in Jesus mm -hmm. and his death on the cross that we need to understand. And what we see is that early on in the New Testament, judgment happens quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Did I say New Testament? Old Testament. Early okay. on in the Old Testament, judgment happens quite quickly. And as the Old Testament, which covers a thousand years, as it... Uh, develops, judgment doesn't happen quite quickly. Mm -hmm. To the point where the New Testament's quite explicit and talks about the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. There will be a time when we meet God and if we do not say, are not able to say, I, I cried out to Jesus to forgive me, then God says, you must not enter heaven. You must be punished. Mm. You need to be destroyed. You can't say that what you did was okay. Mm. 
And I think lots of us flip-flop between, on the one hand, wanting God to do it, on the other hand, not wanting God mm. to do it. And I, think we, and I think that's natural and that's mm. understandable. And, and I think you, want, you, you sense with Jesus, he's saying, look, this is coming, and I don't, want to, I don't want you to have to go through it. So one of the most famous verses in the Bible is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And you get this, this, this thing that a time is coming when people who do not turn from their sin will perish. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and the, the beginning of the Old Testament and the middle <laughs> is telling us this is coming. Mm. You get the story of Noah and the flood. You get these kind of moments where it's saying God will not tolerate sin. Mm -hmm. But Jesus is saying, and and there's a really important passage, and again, I I, I just draw your attention to it. Write it down on a paper paper and go and look at it. It's 2 Peter 3, uh, where, where Peter, who spent all his time with Jesus, and he explains all of this. He says, the day of judgment... And, and, and uh, the destruction of the ungodly will happen, he says. This is 2 Peter 3 and verse 7. The, the day of judgment is going to happen. But he then says this, Do not forget one thing, dear friends. The day with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord, is not, the Lord God, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But this is... So the, the, the complaint that Peter is dealing with is, why haven't you judged? Why mm-hmm. haven't you done what you did mm-hmm. to the Amalekites? And he says this is the explanation. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Mm-hmm. So we know that there is a day of judgment coming, and we know that we now are not experiencing that. So now we're in the point of, you need to, to repent. The judgment is not for this time. But at the beginning of the Old Testament and the middle, there is judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's a warning. So Saul, we go back <coughs> to the story, Samuel tells Saul to enact God's judgment yeah. on this specific people group. Now what's interesting is that the bit that you didn't read, which is absolutely fine, but in, in verse 6, this is 1 Samuel 15, verse 16, uh, Saul is told to, and says to the Canaanites, another group, another tribe, to leave because they're, they're not to be punished. So the, the judgment on the Amalekites is quite specific. Um, and there are only two or three occasions where this happens. We know that there were religions around at that time that believed that the way to stop, the way to keep the harvest coming, which was the, and the way to keep enemies away, which is really what primitive religion boils down to. How do we make sure our crops don't fail? How do we make sure the neighboring village doesn't attack us? We know that there were a number of religions that sacrificed children mm-hmm. or that used what were called temple prostitutes. So they enslaved women Mm-hmm. And, you, and that the act of rape mm-hmm. was in somehow meant to create fertility for the mm-hmm. land, prosperity mm-hmm. for the land. Again and again, the Old Testament is, is ferocious in its uh, judgment of this behavior. Mm-hmm. It's called the, the worship in high places because it would be done up on the hill. Um, 
They would use sometimes a pole called an Asherah pole. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things. So in the other occasions where God says this group, it is, it is often linked to child abuse and abuse of women. Now, that's not specific for the Amalekites. What is specific for the Amalekites is they were known to be people who attacked uh, innocent groups. They were bullies. Mm -hmm. And they, the fact of this story with Moses, it, there's an implication that they perhaps were using some kind of spiritual force or power that was not normal. Mm -hmm. So that they, there's an implication that they were in perhaps in some way demonic, using spirits or whatever, and they were prying, preying on smaller groups. And God says, it's got to be stopped. It's got to be taken out. Now you could listen to that and you could say, it sounds like God has a hierarchy of sins. You know, we've always talked about a sin is a sin is a sin, that there's no sin that's worse than another. Some have worse consequences mm, than yeah. others. But it would seem in God's mind that there are certain sins, particularly that we see in the Old Testament, that evoke his wrath. And I understand that, you know, me swearing at somebody uh, will not evoke the same wrath in God as a child being sacrificed on the altar. Mm. And I'm not saying it's a great thing at all, but it, it, it kind of like seems like, God does have this hierarchy? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there are two things to say. The first thing is that in terms of heaven, mm -hmm. there's a zero tolerance for sin. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say in heaven, well, as long as we haven't got child abuse, it's okay to have a little bit of, uh, <laughs> a little bit of greed, a little bit of gossiping, a little bit of bad language, <laughs> but as long as you don't have child abuse. Yeah. Heaven is going to be perfect. Yeah. There is a zero tolerance. Therefore, the only people who go into heaven are the people who admit yeah. that they're sinful. Yeah. If we think we're a perfect person, we're going to mess up heaven and we're just going to have this yeah. earth all over again. Yeah. So there is definitely, in terms of heaven, one standard. Sin yeah. is sin is sin. However, in terms of our society here in this fallen world, it's clear that some law break, breaking of the laws are worse than others and that will be in proportion to the threat and damage that they cause people. So... If you murder someone, you might have life imprisonment. If you break their window, you might have community service. Yeah. And that is not a reflection of heaven, mm -hmm. but it is a reflection of practically how we life works. And in that sense, yes, that it's clear that a religion that seeks to oppress children and women... God didn't want that to be any part of his people. Mm -hmm. The problem that really kept occurring was that the people of God kept dabbling with it mm -hmm. and going along with it. And this is what you mm -hmm. see again and again and again, that they didn't deal, they didn't say, we'll have nothing to do with yeah. this religion, that they would say, oh yeah, we'll bring a bit of that into our yeah. temple. We'll bring a bit of that into... So you constantly get this idolatry. You constantly mm -hmm. get this saying, we will do a bit... So these religions became intertwined. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, that's the reason God wanted to get rid of it, because of the influence, because it corrupted everything else. So why did he just get rid of the Amalekites? Why didn't he get rid of his people that were also practicing well, it as well? At the beginning of the Old Testament, there are times when individuals lose their life, lose battles, 
mm. are struck down. But I think the Bible is preparing us for where we live now, which is that judgment is delayed. Yep. So that what, it's what we call progressive revelation, uh, which is how we teach things. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a, and the analogy I used, and I've used it loads of times, but and I've said it before in Questions of Life, but f- forgive me if I do it again. When my kids were little, I told them never to cross the road without holding my hand because it's dangerous. Mm. And so if they were two, three, four years old, and I think every kid at, at one point, they step into the road and you shout and you say, stop mm. it, I told you, you never ever cross the road without holding my hand. Mm. And that's true for them at that point. Mm. The real truth is that crossing the road is dangerous and that they need to learn to look right and look mm. left. And uh, my kids are now all in their 20s and they are allowed to cross the road without holding my hand. They're relieved. They're. Now, I haven't changed. Yeah. And the road hasn't changed. Yeah. But their ability to understand their learning has changed. Mm-hmm. So they are now able to know cars are dangerous and I need to look right and look left. Mm. The Old Testament is starting at a basic point, which is saying you cannot tolerate sin. Yeah. We now are a bit more, we've learned a lot more mm. and we now understand the, 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 the yearning desire of God to save mm. people and to, to not shed innocent blood. Mm. Therefore, he's saying, I want you to repent. But you don't see the need to repent if you don't know this judgment. Yep. You don't understand why did Jesus die on the cross mm. if there isn't judgment. Mm. So part of this story is, is saying to you and I, Jesus took the death that we deserve. Mm. Mm. And now that Jesus has died, there is absolutely no place for human beings enacting judgment. Mm. There, it's, it's unacceptable. And the New Testament makes that clear. And towards that passage in Jeremiah, it's becoming really clear at the end of the Old Testament, this, this is not the season for that anymore because the Messiah is coming and he will die in our place. Yeah. Um, so I think we have, in order to understand grace, we have to understand the consequence of sin. To understand the consequence of sin, we have to understand that God won't tolerate it. He will not tolerate it. And these early stories tell us that. And I think that makes complete sense. I think that it's helpful to have them in the Old Testament and it's helpful, as you say, to go on this journey and, and to get to the point of Jesus as well. I think that's, that's really helpful. I suppose the questions that I would ask are a little bit about God's character and God's nature and just the way that some of these things were carried out. I think there's question marks around that as you look at this passage. So you've got a people group that are doing what you're saying, that are not for God. They're using spiritual uh, warfare and things that aren't of God. They're pulling in uh, God's chosen people into their way of thinking. None of this is helpful or healthy. And yet God's response to that isn't to pull out the ringleaders, to pull out those that are responsible, those that are entrenched in it. He actually wipes out the whole people group, animals and all. So you've got children and infants. It's talking about that would have been blameless and innocent. 
that will not have been partaking willingly in this themselves. What does that tell us about God and why did he do it? I think if you don't believe in heaven, it tells us uh, we have a problem. (laughs) Uh, I could be completely wrong on this. But this is the way I would see it is that if you take out a whole group of people and the innocent ones of those, God says, okay, come into heaven because this wasn't your fault. That that, I'm going to put it, I might be completely wrong on this, so I'm tentative in what I'm saying. That actually might have been less cruel than taking your dad away and your, mm-hmm. your mum away who were mm-hmm. violent and complicit. Mm-hmm. It might be it was better just say, look, I'm just going to take the whole, I want to take the whole lot off this planet the ones of you are innocent, I want you to come and, and be with me mm. in heaven. Because there are people, you know, heaven will be pe- have people from the Old Testament. It's not just yep. post-cross people who are saved through the cross. Mm. So in my head, and I'm, I'm speculating because mm. the Old Testament doesn't spell this out. But for me, if, if he'd said, right, I want you to take all the violent men out of this tribe and leave all the people who are innocent... Uh, then they would have actually suffered because they'd lost their dad, they'd lost their parents. That would actually have been quite hard for them. Possibly. So that's the way I understand it. That actually to take the whole lot out and start again, similar to the flood, is better than to just pick and choose. One of the things that you see perhaps today in the uh, battle of, on terror that we have in our world today, for many children, if they feel that their parents have been killed unfairly or yeah. in a religious war, yeah. actually they then grow into the generation that yeah. are even more yeah. uh, outspoken and yeah. violent and oppressive. Yeah that actually it can make matters even worse. You think, right, I've, I've taken out yep. some of the ringleaders, but it actually grows up a group yep. of people that are worse. Yep. And that's a real danger. It is, but you go to Northern Ireland and they're talking about things that happened in the 1700s. Yes. And I suppose I think about it a little bit like, and this is probably not always a helpful analogy, like if, you had, if I had a, a cancerous cell in my body, they always take an area, not just that cancer, but around it. Mm. There's always the good stuff that they take just so they make sure they get it all out. Mm. And I wonder whether this is the same with this, that you've got your core, your root of people that are inherently evil, that are doing things that are absolutely despicable. But yes, God has to then take out those around them, but God is gracious and God is loving and kind and would have welcomed them into into Mm. heaven without Mm. a shadow of doubt, I think. And we've got to be really clear that these are specific examples from the beginning and middle of the Old Testament that, that, that Jesus and the second half, last half of the Old Testament make abundantly clear and no, no longer to be done. Yes. So there is absolutely no justification in, in 2021 for genocide. Absolutely not. And one of the things, just tangentially, is... is um, I've listened to, to a guy called Tom Holland talk quite a lot. He's written a book called, I think it's called, he's this historian. You might have seen him on TV and whatever. And he's written a, one of his books. I think it's called Dominion. You were just telling me earlier. But basically one of the things he says, he's, he's not a, a, a Christian as such, but he's a, an expert on the, the world around the time of Jesus and the Roman world and the European world. 
And she says that, that culture was incredibly barbaric mm. all the way through the Old Testament, all the way up, you know, the way the Romans and all of those mm. cultures, very, very barbaric. But that we in the West use the word barbaric. We think it's awful because of the influence of Jesus, that his language, uh, I mean, uh, so for example, Jesus would say this, these are the words have said, Jesus said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now there he's explicitly quoting the way people interpreted the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The way that passage that we've just read was interpreted. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus goes on, this is Matthew 5, 43 and 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Tom Holland has written this book and other things that he said where he's saying the influence of that and the way the church took that upon themselves has changed the way uh, modern society sees violence. Mm -hmm. So our... Anger, if you like, with the passage in Samuel is because of the way we've been influenced by Jesus. Mm. And, mm. and that's important, that, that, that we have that, that we do mm. see that it's God who is saying this is wrong. Yeah. I've got a question in from Anselm, mm -hmm. uh, who's talking about this whole thing of God being fair, just mm -hmm. picking up on all of this. He says, we, from the New Testament, we know that God is infinitely fair and just. Yet in the Old Testament, God sometimes punishes the children and grandchildren of the person who has sinned, which is definitely not fair. If God is unchanging, how can we equate the Old Testament God to the New Testament God we know to be fair and just? Yeah, this is a good question. It, it, there's a number of times where it says the sins of the fathers, it, it, it goes on, the punishment goes on to the fourth generation. Yeah. Very often in the same passage it will say, but the mercy and forgiveness of God goes on for countless generations. Mm -hmm. So there's a very interesting that one is for four, well, a limited time period and one is unlimited. Mm. I think what these passages are saying is firstly is a warning that if I rebel against God and choose to be hurtful in a way that I think only affects me, the reality is it will affect my children and my grandchildren. Mm. And that's meant as a warning. Mm. So uh, I know, we talked about this before, I know how much my family have, was affected by the First World War. Yeah. And the, the traumas that both of my grandfathers went through mm -hmm. uh, completely de de devastated their lives. And then my parents. And to some extent, I can see the influence in my cousins in my generation. Mm. You can see when people, say someone has uh, issues with alcohol, say, mm. that affects children and grandchildren. Mm. So I think this passage is saying, these passages are saying, before you say, I don't, it doesn't matter what I do, look how it will affect other people. And there is always, and we've talked about this before again, there is always parts of the Old Testament that says, before you do this, be aware of this. Yeah. And then there are parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament that say, now that you've done this, if you're asking for mercy, hear this. Mm. Mm. Uh, so um, 
there are bits of the Bible that say, before you think about sinning, be aware that your sin will damage your children and your grandchildren. And we can see that in our society. Mm. Mm. But the Bible will also say, if you repent and turn away from your sin, then the mercy and grace of God will affect generations to come in your life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. grace is always stronger than the the punishments and the consequences of sin, but Mm -hmm. we need to recognize that sin will damage Mm -hmm. children and grandchildren. And and many of us can see how the mistakes of previous generations are affecting us. Yeah, excellent. Interestingly, you talked about the trauma of war which leads me on to my next question mm-hmm. about uh, God and the Amalekites. Uh, mm-hmm. So it would have been one thing if God had um, just struck the nation down. Mm. Like we've got a, an instance in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's this couple that publicly uh, lied about something and they were just struck down dead one by one instantly. Nobody killed them. It just bang like a, a lightning bolt from heaven, bang, they're dead. So if God had done that to this people group, that's one thing. You know, he could have, it's all powerful, could have just wiped them out with the swish of his hand, let's just say. But he didn't. And this is the interesting thing for me. Why did he ask the human race to do it when it's not a pleasant task? No war, no violence, no, no murder. Is it murder because it's a, it's a war? And we'll come on to them. I've got another question for you about that. It's not a pleasant thing to be asking a group of people to do. Why didn't God do it himself? Why did he say, guys, you do it? Uh, Sorry. Right. <laughs> Am I allowed to say I don't know? I'm going to pour I a s- cup of tea. I, d- <laughs> I think that the norm is that God doesn't intervene. Yep. And that Uh, the the same thing is, you know, you're starving. Why doesn't God just fill your tummy? Why does he have to make me give you food? Yeah. There's something about understanding and learning. In this particular story, it it is clear from what then happens is that Saul, it's revealed that there's a, there's a problem with Saul because of why he doesn't do it. So, I think it, culturally at the time, they were fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's... Uh, I don't know. I just think, I don't think God intervenes all the time, striking people down, because if he did do that, you know, why would we need a police force if God always... Stri- there is, you know... Yeah, good idea. We're just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. That, when you get to heaven, you I'm talk that God. out with God. There is a, <laughs> he's, he's told us to manage this world. Mm-hmm. And his interventions are miraculous mm-hmm. and supernatural because they are not the norm. The norm mm-hmm. is manage this world and act it justly. You know, so mm-hmm. from the beginning of Genesis, when Mankind is put, it, it's given the world to care for and to run on his behalf, to steward mm-hmm. it on his behalf. We are to do things, mm-hmm. um, whether it's feeding the hungry, whether it's punishing the dangerous, whatever it is. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have a brilliant no, answer I, for that question. I wonder whether it's, I often think about this and I think, I look at it through my lens of my life. 
So for God to say to me, Kath, pick up your arms and go and wipe out another people group, it's just alien to me. Mm. It's just not part of my culture. I've not been part of a war. Our history as a nation is to have been part of wars. Uh, and I was around for the Falkland Islands and for other conflicts, but they didn't affect me directly. I didn't have to pick up my arms. Nobody in my family picked up their arms. They've not had a knock-on effect. So for me, it's incredibly shocking to think, well, someone like me, well, how's that going to affect me psychologically? It's going to be a nightmare. But then when you rewind to what was going on at the time, like you're talking about, it was incredibly barbaric. They were fighting left, right, and center. So this wasn't something new that God was asking them to do. They weren't just a peaceful, peaceman kind of nation. We don't pick up arms. It was part of, part of their DNA is probably too strong a word, but it wouldn't have been as shocking for them as it is for us reading it. Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't have affected them because surely it must affect you mm, if you mm. take another life but I think, again, we look at it through the lens of today, through Jesus, through all of those things, and we just can't compute it. We just can't understand it. So we're kind of like aghast that God would make them do that. Yes, and I think we've got to remember, I think sometimes people think God created the Old Testament culture. Mm. Mankind mm. walked out of the garden and rejected God's purposes, rejected the Ten Commandments, mm. and created this dog-eat-dog, yeah. violent, unsafe world that that God grieved over. Yeah, absolutely. And God does not say, oh, you're just one nation's fighting another nation, that's fine. Mm. He grieves mm. over, and, he's, and, and the Bible is this, this trying to tra change humanity. And that they are, humanity is so corrupt and violent yeah. that it takes all the way through to Jesus. And we'd say, well, that's ridiculous, but we only need to go to certain parts of the world today and you see what human beings do when they totally ignore the Bible, when they totally yeah. ignore the commandments, to see yeah. how inhumane human beings are, how horrendous they behave and treat each other. Mm -hmm. That we mustn't blame God mm -hmm. for that. That is the result mm -hmm. of rejecting God. And what you see in the Old Testament is what happens. Yes. And I think one of the things I really think is important is that this, these moments where God says you need to take a life are far outweighed by all the times in the Old Testament when the Bible just tells us that this inhumane, this rape, this incest, mm -hmm. this murder, this atrocity was done. Mm -hmm. And it's not God saying it was okay. It's yeah. God saying, let me show you a mirror yeah. of what you are doing yeah. when you say, I don't care about the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And, and we have to, and I think this is what Jesus is trying to recorrect. He's saying, look, the Bible is, the Old Testament is showing you how violent you are. It's not telling you to be violent. Yes. It's telling you, this is the rubbish mess you make when you think an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mm -hmm. is the way to solve all problems. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is important to understand. I think yeah. the idea that the, the Old Testament culture was exactly how God wanted it is, <laughs> is Gosh, no. you know, it, yeah. it's not how it is. It was absolutely awful. Yeah. yeah. So talking about the Ten Commandments, that yeah. brings me on to another question. Yeah. So if you are asked by God to kill somebody, does that mean it's not murder and you're not breaking one of the Ten Commandments? And I'll roll that on a little bit as well. If you are fighting for your nation... Where does that stand in relation to murder? Is defending your nation an okay reason and you're not breaking the Ten Commandments? So I think we need to be very clear that through the, and even in these moments, these 
two or three occasions in the Old Testament when God asks some, it is done through the leadership and the authority of the state. It is the king that is told to do this. Yep. If you and I hear a voice from God telling us to kill someone, it is not God. Absolutely. It never happens yep. that way, never did happen that way. It was always through the government, the state, the king or whatever that it happened. Mm. And it only happens at the beginning of the Old Testament. Mm. So I don't think God is ever going to tell anybody listening to kill somebody. That's yep. really, really important yep. to say. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I do think that we may... Need, there may be occasions. No, let's start again. I do think that it is right for Christians to say, I'm going to join the police or the army. Yep, definitely. To protect the innocent. Yes. And if under a due line of command mm-hmm. that's pr- protected by judicial inquiry, Yep. And otherwise, there's laws, international laws, and there's, lo- and there's British laws. That if to protect somebody else, whether as a soldier or a police marksman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you are asked to take a life. Mm-hmm. I've changed my mind. Mm-hmm. I was a complete pacifist. Mm-hmm. I think that there is such a thing as what's called the just war, the concept that in order, and the most, you know, the classic one is to, in order to stop the Holocaust and the, and the, the, the destruction of the Jewish people, the Allies needed to take up force mm-hmm. and to do that in a limited and constrained way. So I think there is, it is, that there may be a case, I, I thank God for people who are willing to be police officers yeah. and are willing to serve as soldiers. And I think that there will be times when under due process yeah. to protect others, they yeah. need to be violent. Yeah. However, I do think non-violence is a really important way of changing things. Mm. And I'm a big... You know, and, and, and there's, a big dif- uh, there's a big difference between under a legal process, a government says we need to use force and me who's unhappy with the government using force. Yes. And I think that, I think the New Testament, we're told to submit to the governments and authorities in the New Testament. And if they're doing something wrong, then we resist them. So I, Martin Luther King, for me, is, is a, a really important example. He never used violence. It's not for us to use violence as ordinary members of, of society. But uh, if an armed person is attacking us and there's a police officer nearby, I want them to do what is legal to save me. Part of the problem is with the leaders, isn't it? As in, you could have a leader that it would seem uh, incites 
a crowd to go and violently protest or violently do something else. And there's a huge responsibility yep. on those in positions of leadership yep. to think about what they say, what they do, yep. and the consequences of their actions, yep. because it's a group of people that enact them on their behalf. Yep. And it made me think about in the Old Testament, so you had God and the Israelites. And I love the imagery of Moses, that when his arms were out, they were winning the battle. And he couldn't do that on his own. He had to have Aaron and somebody else there holding them up with him. But mm. there was a sense that when they put their trust in God, he gave them the victory. Mm. Do you think God would do that today? So do you think if we had leaders and a nation who turned to God, do you think our, our, our nation would look different? Absolutely. And I think that the the remarkable stories both of Dunkirk and the D-Day landings and yep. how against all the odds yep. in Dunkirk the, the clouds and the, 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 the decisions of, of strange it would appear decisions of, uh, of the German forces and the way that the, 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 the UK had come together to pray. And, and There's the, millions of people turn out to pray. The churches were filled with yep. a day of prayer. Yep. Uh, undoubtedly that... Uh, undoubtedly that if we uh, really pray mm -hmm. that there may be an occasion that, that we are asked to stand against evil I think it's a very complex thing because of all the battles and wars that Britain has been in in my lifetime and in the last 100 years I think the Second World War stands in a different category on and there's been a lot of other decisions that one wonders whether other diplomatic uh, things could have been done. But I'm not an expert, and, it, mm -hmm. and I thank God I don't have to make those decisions. I think that for a nation to go to war should be the very, 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 very last resort, mm. and not something that you do lightly or easily. So just as we're coming into to land, just thinking about what's going on in our world today. So there are certain situations that, you, that we look at and we think that is just awful. You know, people going and raping and killing and doing horrendous things. Uh, and the, there's a bit of us that's like, come on, God, do something. You know, wipe them out. You wipe them out in the Old Testament. God's not necessarily going to do that. What should our response be? You know, as, as people that want to follow Jesus, we, we, we might sit there feeling nothing's happening, but actually there are things that, that, that we can be doing proactively mm. that can affect that situation. What would you suggest us to do? I think we have to encourage our government to do everything they can to stand against oppression, discrimination, persecution, uh, of a nation of its own people or a nation of neighbouring peoples. I think there are all kinds of levers that if the nations got together in terms of sanctions, in terms of coercion, mm. pressure, or perhaps in terms of United Nations forces, and there's all kinds of things that can be done. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm not a politician, but the concept of the United Nations 
whether it works, I don't know, but the concept that you can't just, as a nation, say, oh, I'm going to go to war with another yeah. nation. That actually your peers, as other nations, say, yes, this is a just thing you have, we collectively are going to support. Mm. And, and that all of that seems to me to be right. Yeah. But there's so much more that we can do economically. Mm. One of the great... Uh, one of the things I think is really bad is that we as a nation, on the one hand, are supplying arms to one group of people, and then on another hand, supplying arms to the people they're fighting, and then trying to tell both of them to stop fighting. And there's a huge amount of disingenuous behavior going on. And if we really want to protect people and stop war, mm -hmm. we have to seriously address our complicity yeah. uh, with the arms industry yeah. and who we sell arms to and why yeah. yeah and of course the easiest thing we can do is to pray mm. absolutely pray for those that have been affected yeah. pray for lead pray i mean my thing is pray as often as we can for people in key positions mm. i don't think their jobs are easy i wouldn't want any of their jobs mm. i think of the royal family at the moment you know i don't pass judgment because it's not my call i don't know what the truth is but i just know that we need to pray mm. we need to be praying into those situations that's what we're called to do we can't yeah. go in there with a gun and shoot everybody we can pray and we believe mm. that that prayer is incredibly powerful it changes people but also we need to have a voice and speak up and, mm. and know what we believe, know mm. why we believe it and be able to speak into these situations mm. and petition and, and do all of those things. I think that's really important. Mm. Have you got anything that you feel that you've not said? Because I've just asked look, you I did, I did a million questions. Notes. I'm really sorry. No, I've no, gone, no, off, it's fine. gone off piste as usual. Uh, I think uh, that... I think I've said everything. It's just the recap. Yeah. Uh, there are just one or two occasions where God asks the people of God to specifically enact judgment on a small group of people. Yep. That the norm in the Old Testament is to, to not commit bloodshed. Yep. And that that is a, a, a warning about God's judgment that is to come. We now mm -hmm. live on the other side of Jesus dying on the cross. There yeah. is no place for human beings enacting judgment yeah. There is a place for human beings protecting the vulnerable. Yeah. And if a state or nation, through accountability to courts of justice, international and local, uses force to protect the people, I think that's okay. But that's mm. not the same as saying, I'm going to kill people and it's okay and do it in God's name. You cannot, as an individual, kill somebody and say, Oh, God asked me to do it, and I'm doing it in God's name. And all of our sense of abhorrence for that comes from Jesus, mm. who says, pray for those who persecute you. Mm. Pray for your enemies. Mm. And he is, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Yep. And it's not two gods. Yep. It's God does hate sin. Yep. He will destroy sin. There will not be evil in heaven. Mm. So you and I need to make sure that we're, ready to meet Jesus mm. Mm. and we've renounced and asked for God's mercy on our so God thing. is a merciful God absolutely God of a million chances so if there's someone that's, that's listening or, or watching this right now and is thinking what does God think of me I've stuffed up I've done this that and the other gosh what would you say to them 
The whole point of the cross is Jesus saying, I want to save you from this. Mm. I want to save you from this. And one of the pictures is that the cross is like the ark in the story of Noah. That it's, God, it's Jesus saying, look, come into this and mm. be safe. Mm. God will never, ever, ever turn away anyone who says, Lord, I'm sorry. Yeah. And the, the thief next to Jesus, mm. he never, ever turns away someone who says, God, I'm sorry. Mm. Mm. But he will not let into heaven anyone who says it wasn't me. Yeah. Who says, but I blame everybody else. Yeah, it was their fault. It was their fault. If mm. we don't take responsibility, then mm. God will make us take responsibility. Mm. If we take responsibility and say, Lord, I'm sorry, he mm. will wash it all away. Mm. And we go into heaven with the, the goodness of Jesus, not our own. And so the picture of the father and the prodigal son is exactly what God is like at the moment. That he is pursuing waiting. each of us, well, waiting. The, the, the story is that the, the guy who runs off with the inheritance, the father doesn't follow him into no. the pig's pit. He doesn't follow him looking. At, uh, he mm. waits at the gate. Mm. And the mm. moment the, the sun is on the horizon, mm. he runs to him and yeah. says, come back. Yeah. But the, the son has to turn around yes. and say, I have made a mistake. It says in the passage he came to his senses. He came to his senses, yeah. He realised I've stuffed up and he turned around mm. and went back. Mm. And that's, the God, that's how God looks at each of us, doesn't he? He mm. lets us make our choices. He lets us walk the paths that we walk, but he's desperate. He's mm. there. He's waiting, wants just to embrace us, to welcome us to him and to forgive us mm. that mm. we may know him in this lifetime mm. and the next. Mm. That's the wonderful news of the gospel and of God. There's one final thing I did Go forget for to say. Go for it. The reason Saul gets punished, and Saul is, is, is stripped from being a king because he doesn't kill all the people. And the reason it's really clear and it's really important to understand is uh, that when I find the passage, uh, uh, it says that he spared the best. He killed all the weak people who were weak and useless. He spared all the uh, best sheep and cattle, the yeah. fat calves and lambs, yeah. everything that was good. Everything that was despised and weak, he totally destroyed. Yes, yes. And God says, that's not what I'm having. Yeah, that's not what I asked. It's not, it, it, so some people think that Saul was stripped of being yeah. king because he didn't kill everyone. It's not that he didn't kill everyone. It's that the reason that he killed the least <laughs> people he should have killed and he saved the people he thought could have been of use to him and the money and the wealth mm. that they had. Mm. And God says, that's not acceptable. You got the wrong heart. Yeah. Mm. And Saul isn't struck down. He just loses his, his role. I think it's probably worse not to be struck down because he went through a lot of angst and pain yeah. and pursued the, the king that was anointed after him, wanted yeah. to kill him. He was in great torment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've done brilliantly tonight. I think at the beginning you said that there are people that could do this much better. I think you've done absolutely fantastically. So well, okay. thank you for letting me fire a million different questions at you, some of which you had no idea were coming. <laughs> so well, well done. That was brilliant. Uh, we'll see you soon. Cheerio. Bye. <laughs>